Um, so, yes, a, a welcome to this week, uh, these five days of retreat in these, uh, this rather unusual setting that we're beginning to explore and normalize and discover indeed that we can actually create retreat spaces through this medium. I always think it's helpful to, to remember that no matter how, how ideal and verified conditions are in retreat centers, still retreats are always born of intention just as the practice is born of intention and i do think it's so helpful for all of us as we enter this time period to really clarify the intentions that are going to be helpful to us just to reiterate a really warm welcome a really warm welcome to each of you uh, wherever you are, just, just looking through the, the, the screens in gallery view and seeing how uh, you know, spread we are across the world uh, as we meet in this way. And just to say, wherever you are, uh, you're so welcome. You're so welcome in this retreat space. You know, what, whatever uh, race or ethnic background, family background you identify with, uh, whatever gender or sexual orientation or, uh, you identify with. Um, however, you're, you kind of conceive yourself in terms of religious affiliation or non-religious affiliation, you're really welcome. However your body is at this time, and however your heart and mind are at this time, please know that you're very, very welcome in this retreat space. Uh, it, it, uh, it feels a great blessing to be able to meet across the world uh, in this way at this time when uh, there are, it seems, multiple crises um, that are probably impacting all of us in different ways um, uh, and having their very personal <clears throat> dimensions to them. So it feels a precious thing to be able to dedicate some days to practicing together. Um, and, you know, really wanting to acknowledge that for different people on this retreat, the shape of these days will be different. You know, we're each in different life circumstances and home circumstances, family circumstances, and uh, really just to encourage you to shape this time in the way that is genuinely most helpful to you in your particular conditions and most deepening of your practice at this time. And, and just to, uh, as Ramiro said, to let that, that sense of intention for these days to be days on retreat <laughs> uh, be your kind of, we really want us to support that intention for you as you shape this time, as you shape this time. And that is a, a simplified. You know, this, this practice 
does encourage us to uh, take times of really simplifying our intentions. There's so much complexity, so much uh, that can draw our attention in different directions. And maybe part of the gift of these days can be to explore what supports you in, in simplifying a bit, you know. And having, having boundaries, <clears throat> and Nicole and Ramiro have both spoken about that, you know, there's, there's a way in which at the start of a retreat, we, we draw boundaries around a space for the purposes of cultivating uh, a deeper wakefulness, a deeper embodied presence, a deeper kindness, and an orientation to awakening. And so, although we're, we're scattered geographically, uh, maybe we can collectively affirm that sense of boundary around our retreat. And you can find the ways in which you can embody that in your life over these next few days. Um, and part of that is uh, just a perennial issue on these particular retreats that are primarily oriented around uh, mindfulness uh, programs, contemporary mindfulness programs. Many of you I know are mindfulness teachers. Some of you are mindfulness trainees. Um, some of you I know are psychotherapists. And uh, it's easy to have the sense when you do a retreat of, oh, I'm learning something that I can use with my clients or with my participants. But really to let yourself have this time for you. This is for you these days. So if you can suspend those perceptions about uh, <clears throat> kind of how this might affect your mindfulness teaching, that's probably a skillful thing to do, you know, probably a skillful thing to do, just to really let yourself have these days on retreat. And, and that doesn't mean that we can't dedicate our practice over these days to the well-being of others as well as ourselves. And it can be a beautiful thing at the start of a retreat just to have that sense of, okay, I make this offering of these days as uh, a gift to be in the service of the well-being of uh, those who I love, those with whom I'm living, maybe those in my community, those who I teach or those who I have a, a client relationship with and with our, for the well-being of our wider worlds who, which surely need <laughs> uh, the gift of more mindfulness and compassion. Uh, surely need those at this time. And so you might like to make that dedication as part of how you set up your retreat that sense of, okay, I offer this practice time as a gift 
may its, the benefits be shared. May the benefits ripple out from my life and touch the life of others in, in all kinds of ways, um, that some of which we, we, we just don't know about, but some of which we can probably sense and feel. And so in the midst of this sense of larger worlds, we are asked to find our own ground, the ground of our body, the ground of our heart. And to sense that whatever arises in body and heart over these days is the curriculum. <laughs> There's nothing outside the, the retreat in that sense. You know, it can all be part of our retreat. Whatever happens can be part of our retreat. Um, and that as in the tradition, we're, we're invited to uh, uh, dedicate these days to a practice of non-harming, to, to remember an ethical commitment at the start of any period of practice to acting in a way that is of benefit and not of harm as best we can. And so you might like just to have that uh, intention, just a reminder of your ethical uh, orientations as you begin these days and this period of practice together. So, yeah, just to acknowledge that we're starting something <laughs> and we're, we're entering a, a special time of practice that has uh, these possibilities. I just want to mention that over these last months, I personally have felt to be profoundly grateful for my practice and really appreciated and are, am appreciating uh, truly what an ally and refuge this path and this practice is in challenging times. I think when times are easier in our lives, we, we can forget the gift of that and the blessing of that. Something that I've also reflected on over these months is, is not just about mindfulness, but about how the extended family of mindfulness is actually so crucial. I know in the beginning of, of lockdown, down when you know my circumstances were pretty overcrowded um I, I reflected what's really going to be useful here it goes without saying useful and then i reflected upon the brahma of a heart the kindness the compassion the joyfulness the equanimity how these are also such invaluable allies and i reflected on the awakening factors of investigation, of energy, of collectedness, of courage, and again, of joyfulness and equanimity, and how this extended family of mindfulness is actually such a resource for us, and to remember what a, a big what really us in all the moments we will be reflecting not just upon mindfulness itself but also upon this extended family of mindfulness 
and how it's it's so central in this path of waking up and this path of you know being able to find our ground in the midst of all things during this uh, particularly during the early part of this this kind of uh, pandemic I, I did find myself giving myself a, quite a lot of Dharma talks. So over the course of these days, we're going to be visiting territory that is familiar to many of you. And yet we remind ourselves that we do not hear these teachings too often. There's, a, there's such a value in hearing and rehearing and rehearing and reminding ourselves inwardly of our capacity to be present, to be ground in the midst of all things. There are two discourses from the early teachings that have most profoundly impacted uh, practitioners of insight meditation, but also those who uh, train and practice in contemporary mindfulness um, formats. And those two discourses, many of you will be familiar with. The first of them is the Satipatthana Sutta, the four ways of establishing mindfulness. And this discourse we will unpack over the course of these days. We will practice the ways of establishing mindfulness. We will reflect on them. And hopefully they will enrich our understanding of what mindfulness is. The second of boundless kindness, friendliness, our capacity to befriend the moment, to befriend our minds, to befriend our bodies, to befriend the world that we live in, and how significant that teaching of befriending is to all of us, particularly as we, you may have noticed in difficult times, it is so easy to, to be forgetful and to close down and to become contracted. And how this teaching of metta, this teaching of kindness keeps the heart open to the family of all beings. When we begin to look at the Satipatthana Sutta, the four ways of establishing mindfulness, there are a few things I think it's to be helpful of in the beginning. The Buddha speaks about ardency, abiding with mindfulness, ardency. It's a curious word in, in English. I don't know how it is in other languages. But it really describes a sense of passion, a sense of love, of loving stillness, of loving quietude, of loving wakefulness, and being enthusiastic about the pathways to wakefulness. The Buddha also speaks in the beginning of the sutta and throughout the sutta about developing a way of being where we abide independent, not clinging to anything in this world, 
and not being governed by anything in this world. It's a curious phrase, abiding independent, because we know that we're not independent truly, that we're dependent on so many things, so many people for our very survival. But the Buddha is actually pointing to a quality of heart, a quality of mind, where we are no longer hostage to the world of conditions. And finding that freedom inwardly, where we can be deeply touched and need to be deeply touched by the world of conditions. But our well-being and our freedom is not determined by the world of conditions we find ourselves in. So the teaching begins, the first way of establishing mindfulness is, of course, establishing mindfulness within the body of this moment, however it is. It is the, the largest section in the Satipatthana Sutta, and clearly in contemporary mindfulness, we never ever leave the body behind. It is a first habit, this body, fully, wakefully, with kindness. How to know this body as the body. Not who I am, not defining who I am, but also caring for this body fully. When we reflect upon our relationship to the, our bodies, as they are just now, we we see how often we get, we are triggered or three primary tendencies are often associated with the body. One of the tendencies is to be preoccupied, obsessed, identified with the body of this moment. How it is, how it will be, how it has been in the past. Another pattern that often arises very strongly in the relationship to the body is one of dissociation. You know, particularly in times of trauma or if the body is ill or in pain, we simply find ourselves not wanting to be here, not wanting to be with this, wanting to, to find some other place that is <coughs> more easeful. Another um, tendency is, is just almost one of neglect that until the body shouts at us, asking us to pay attention because of pain or discomfort, how often we just simply live in our thoughts, live in our minds, live in our stories, live in our, our habit patterns, and how we're often dealing with this, this huge disconnection between mind and body. Our bodies being in one place, and, of course, our minds being somewhere entirely else. So the teachings of mindfulness really begin with this setting this intention to inhabit the body fully, to integrate body, mind, and present moment, to begin to cultivate the sense of, of collectiveness, of unification, um, to cultivate a quality of calm in the midst of all things. Now, the di discourse begins with the instructions to bring our attention to 
being mindful of the body breathing. To foreground our breathing process as an anchor, reminding us, cultivate that collectedness. But this is not just about watching the breath or you know how many breaths in a row we might have. It is actually has an intention behind it. And when the Buddha speaks about mindfulness of breathing, he, he brings the instruction, the encouragement to breathe in, calming the formations, and to breathe out, calming the formations, which again is a strange term. And the formations the Buddha is referring to are essentially the formations of agitation. Breathing in, calming anything that is agitated in the mind. Our stories, our reactions, our, our narratives, our, our anxieties, our worries. Breathing in, calming all that is agitated in the mind. Breathing in, calming all that is agitated in the body. The restlessness, the, the discontent, the, the movement. Cultivating a, a stillness within, in the midst of the thoughts in the midst of the stories, developing a sense of calm abiding. It is a good place to start in the practice. It's a good place to have a, a kind of simplicity of intention and remembering this is really the first step towards inhabiting the body, fully, mindfully, wakefully, knowing that the body is always a present moment experience. We are simply not having tomorrow's toothache. We are not having last year's broken arm. We have the body just now as it is. And each moment we find ourselves being able to return to the body, return to the body breathing, we are establishing that ground of present moment collectedness. This takes patience. It takes willingness. It takes enthusiasm because we are really swimming against the tide of forgetfulness. We're swimming against the tide of the patterns of disconnection and dissociation. So it's really bearing in mind that intention in practice and in life is not something that we just set once. We renew that intention. We bring a freshness to renewing that intention time and time again moment to moment. And every time we do that, we realize we're stepping out of the patterns that don't serve us well. And we're stepping into a way of being that nourishes us where we can thrive. So being, being truly patient, what is the sense of the body of this moment? Just breathing. How do I know that breathing process? Do I know the beginning of a breath? Do I know the end of a breath? Do I sense how this body is responding to each in-breath and each out-breath, the expanding and the relaxing? A moment-to-moment -moment cultivation, a curiosity, an affectionate curiosity. We all know how much in contemporary mindfulness settings, how much attention and emphasis is given to inhabiting the body. It has always been so through time in this teaching of mindfulness. 
and this teaching of waking up. And then it's not just about watching the body or observing what's going on. That's a piece of it. That's a piece of mindfulness. It's developing this quality of simple knowing. But it's also a question of what are we learning? What are the lessons that the body is offering to us? Because the body offers us profound life lessons that are liberating, that are healing, that are freeing. A number, in my early years of practice, when I began to practice insight meditation, I, I spent a lot of time in a, in a tradition that emphasized the body scan. And, um, you know, I found myself to be actually you know, quite good at this. I ticked all the boxes, you know, I reached, you know, I passed all the, the goalposts, you know, and then it struck me at some point, I, I asked myself, what am I learning? You know, I'm good at the technique, but what really are the lessons that are being offered? And so I want to just share with you some of my own reflections of the learning in mindfulness of body. I think that the first learning is actually, and probably the most liberating learning in this, is that we can choose what we attend to in any moment. And we can choose the quality of our attention. In this moment, I can choose to attend to what's happening in the palm of my hand. Or I can choose to attend to the sensation of my foot touching the ground. This is so profound. Um, it, it teaches us that we, we, we do not live, need to live in a way that we're always captured by what is most predominant. It teaches us that we can live in a way that we don't, we're not uh, implicitly bound to give authority to that which is, has the loudest voice. That we can learn to live in a way that is guided by intention rather than by reactivity and impulse. We learn, actually, the possibility of calming, of stepping out of the ruminations through those choices, stepping out of the preoccupations and the agitations. We're learning to have an intentional attention this is so, so important that our attention can follow our intention. I don't know how, if you've noticed in your life, the ways in which intention and attention arise and fall together. When intention falters, so does attention. When attention falters, so does intention. And there is something so significant in our life in being able to sustain the intentions that serve us well, rather than the impulses that don't serve us well. I'm sure you, you've experienced this of going out, in the, you know, out of your house in the morning with the intention to be kind or the intention to be patient and how that shapes your attention. And then something else happens or comes along, some annoyance, some vexation, and how that intention drops away. And so does the attention to that intention. So there's something here about sustaining intentionality, which has a profound significance 
on her impact on our life. Um, learning to come back to the body and learning to come back to the body breathing. It, it's a training in unbinding. It's a training in unbinding from the grip of narratives and stories and obsessions. We're always coming back to the body from somewhere. And very often we find ourselves coming back from the, the thought loops or the ruminations or the preoccupations. Within mindfulness of the breathing that opens the door to a wider mindfulness of the body, we're beginning to develop our capacity for investigation, to know the difference between the story of the moment and the actuality of the moment. One of my early teachers said to me once, said actually to a number of his students, that the story of your mother is not your mother. The story of my back is not actually my back. The story of the sound I listen to is not actually the sound. The story of my, my illness or my pain is not the actuality of that illness or that pain in this moment. So we're beginning to learn how to, to come underneath the concepts, underneath the narratives, underneath the conclusions, to actually know the body as a fluid unfolding process, never standing still, never being able to be contained by a concept, by an idea. This we can attune to. This we can learn from. And as we attune ourselves to that changing fluid process, we see how much of the fear, how much of the anxiety, how much of the <coughs> reactivity is in, more in the story than in the actuality. We begin to develop a non-preferential mindfulness. It's so interesting to me that in contemporary mindfulness, the first lesson people are taught is the lesson of equanimity. How to be equally near all things. How to be equally near the pleasant and the unpleasant and that which is neither. Beginning to step out of this preferencing, this almost addiction, actually, to the pleasant and the aversion to the unpleasant that can so govern our lives and give birth to so much agitation. We learn to be equally near that which is lovely, pleasant, and equally near to that which is unpleasant. Developing the spaciousness and the balance inwardly, free of reactivity, where we can embrace this world of the moment just as it is. We build up in that a certain quality of resilience. Um, balance, steadiness. We also learn within the classroom of the body that it is a training in kindness. It's a training in befriending, an affectionate curiosity. We really see that none of us thrive in a climate of aversion, rejection, ill will, avoidance. And if we can learn to befriend the body as it is just now, however it is, we are training ourselves 
in befriending life as it is. Within mindfulness of the body, with its, with its spectrum of experiences, its spectrum of sensations changing moment to moment, we see that they carry a feeling tone, um, pleasant and unpleasant. And we see that often those feeling tones are deeply associated with ingrained patterns of reactivity, of wanting and not wanting. And we learned actually to attend to the feeling tone rather again than giving authority of, to the reactivity. As we explore the body, befriend the body, inhabit the body, also we begin to see this inseparable nature of mind and body, heart and body. We begin to see that the body of sadness, the body of anxiety, the body of spaciousness, the body of calm. We see how our moods, how our mental states imprint themselves upon the in, within the body and can be explored and befriended and investigated within the body. So this is our first invitation. This is our first, yes, our first invitation in the path. Something that I would really encourage you to, to cultivate and to explore today. And to remember in the early teachings that this is not just about sitting. You know, the Buddha very much encouraged, whether sitting, standing, walking, or lying down, establishing mindfulness within the body, that this is the most noble way of living in this world. So I really encourage you to take this intention forward into the day-to-day. -day. You know, whether you're standing, sitting, walking, lying down, moving, coming or going, what is it like for you to establish this ground within the body, this ground of mindfulness, this ground of wakefulness? You might want to be curious about those moments when mind and body seem to disconnect. You know, when you find the body simply habitually moving, but the mind is truly somewhere else. What is it to come back, to unify, to integrate, to pause for a moment if you're in movement, just to pause for a moment, to stop, to breathe. Ah, the body of this moment. So I encourage you to begin your, your sittings, perhaps, or to begin your practices today, establishing the ground of mindfulness within the body breathing, but then knowing that there is not the one singular right way of being mindful of the body. You might want to explore the landscape of sensations within your body. You might find it useful to sit with an awareness of the whole body sitting, the whole body standing, the whole body walking. You might find it helpful to have much more specific intention of you know, using a body scan or a body sweeping. Explore the territory. Find what works for you. Find what is useful for you, what is helpful for you. And knowing that, that mo those moments of groundedness are really just a breath away. I would encourage us all just to take a few minutes to, before we end this session, just to sit together Finding a, a posture 
where there's a marriage of alertness and softness. And settling, grounding, feeling your feet, your body, touching the chair, the ground, sense of earthing, stilling, being mindful of the body sitting, the body sensing, the body listening, the body breathing. Sensing the body of the breath from its beginning to its ending. The expanding, the relaxing. Cultivating a sense of calm abiding within that process. Expanding your field of awareness to know the whole body of this moment. The aliveness of the sensation landscape. Feeling into that landscape. Sensing what's on your attentional radar just now. An affectionate curiosity. Thank you. 
hit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.